Blog Talk Radio. Welcome in, friends, to the Jazz Mill Broadcast, a celebration of all things jazz, featuring the great music of and interviews with some of the hottest singers and players on the planet. As always, your calls and feedback are welcome. Now, your host, Scott Henderson. Yes, indeedy, feed the needy. Welcome in, folks, to the Jazz Mill broadcast. Uh, Hey, here's a fun fact for you. Did you know that researchers at Oxford University recently found a correlation between high IQ and those who dig jazz? And that the more people listen to jazz, the smarter they became, which is very good news for me. On top of that, the overwhelming majority of jazz listeners, they floss daily. Uh, they change their oil every 3,000 miles, and most even have a legal Netflix subscription, so there's that. Uh, like the man says, I'm your host, Scott Henderson. going to do our level best here to entertain you with great music, great interviews of the hottest players, singers, composers, authors, and conductors on the planet. As always, we invite your calls at 515-602-9600, or if you'd be more comfortable commenting, Uh, chatting in our chat room. That is an option for you as well if you're hearing this live. Well, boy, do we have a dandy on tap as we visit with uh, Grammy award-winning producer, composer, arranger, musician Brent Fisher, uh, who carries well the legacy of his father, Dr. Claire Fisher, and uh, arranging credits appearing on 30 million albums uh, from artists including Usher, Michael Jackson, Pancho Sanchez, uh, Peter Erskine, Robert Palmer, Elvis Costello, Tony Braxton, Al Jarreau, George Duke, Natalie Cole, and Prince, just to name a few. Uh, welcome in, Brad. How are you, Maestro? I'm excellent. How are you, Mr. Henderson? Well, thank you, sir. Uh, we we are well uh, enjoying a, a, a bit of, uh, uh, what do they call it, uh, Indian summer or something. It's, it's not, uh, it's not, feeling uh, too wintry yet here in Chicago where we broadcast from, but I won't even ask you about the weather there because I know it's got to be wonderful. Uh, but, yeah, I I, uh, I tell you, we're all a Twitter here uh, to have you on with uh, those credits to your name. Uh, we, we just couldn't feel uh, uh, more honored to have you on these airwaves. And uh, I got to ask you, uh, with that Grammy being awarded to you, uh, do, do you keep it in an extra special place? I uh, have to make adjustments being in earthquake country. I keep my Grammys. I've got one for myself and one of my one that I yep. uh, obtained for my father posthumously. Um, I've yep. got them both down low. It's in a nice cabinet. And Smart. I do, you know, maintain them and keep them clean and dust-free and everything. But, yeah, they're, <laughs> you, you have to sort of bend down to see them when you come over. Um, but, they, yeah, they are, they are nicely displayed and they're, in a secure safe. location. Well, that's, yeah. uh, <laughs> that's precious cargo and uh, smart how you've done that. I tell you, if I ever won one, this says something about me. 
uh, I would uh, fashion it into a necklace and, and even wear it in the shower. Uh, I, I, no restraint <laughs> in my game. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a great sure. honor. I mean, it's the, it's the, it's the gold standard in, in the music industry. And uh, for, for you to have one and then one on behalf of your, your dad's good work, I mean, it's just got to fill you with pride. Uh, so yeah, those are, those are big deals. And, uh, uh, heck why stop now? I, I know you're very active on the music scene and, uh, you know, why not, why not, uh, make, make room for more? I'd love to see that and we'll help you in any way that we can on these airwaves. Uh, now you've got your, uh, uh finger in so many pies, Brent. Uh, how, how do you describe, uh, what, how do you describe to people what it is you do professionally? Sure. Yeah. Uh, arranger, producer, composer, not necessarily in that order. Uh, a conductor. Uh-huh. I do direct the big band. And uh, of course, when I uh, write orchestral arrangements for people, I invariably end up conducting those um, and directing the sessions. So, um, but what I realized about 10 years ago, as I was making all these albums, producing all these albums for my father uh, you know, started during his lifetime and continued well after as we uh, try to, uh, you know, as I tried to fulfill a promise to him to release everything, record and release everything that he ever wrote in his life. And we are wow. making good progress in that realm um, up to this yes. point. But, uh, you know, I realized somewhere along the line there that I had become the de facto CEO of my own record label, and that's Clavo Records. <laughs> And, uh, mm-hmm. and so we, you know, we kind of have made it more official now, but yeah, I, I, I thought to myself, well, I've got to go out and uh, do a promotion after we launch a CD and pre-publicity before it and uh, get as many, you know, get as many uh, ears on the music as possible. And so that involves doing all the, the things that uh, record labels do, even though we are completely independent and uh yes. yeah most most of the duties fall to me at some point or another i do have some fantastic people that help me out um when and if needed and so it's it's been wonderful and and also uh it's absolutely liberating being in charge of everything yourself because um yes. uh, while i have advisors and people to help me and uh you know give their opinion then i i make the final decision on something and i uh am very much like my father was when he was working for record labels in in that he got to really have mostly the final say on what he did with uh almost every album save perhaps the first i don't know five or so when he was a you know a new artist uh back in the early yeah. 60s but uh, that that's always that's always great because uh, we're thinking about things in terms of uh, musical integrity and quality sonic architecture, and after that's mm. done, then we try and figure out how we can market it and how we can make it uh, appealing to people. But uh, we're not we're not in the business of chasing after hits, and it's just amazing that notwithstanding. We still have garnered some attention over the years and the, you know, the Grammy wins that we've got. Uh, The first one was in 1981. That, by the way, was on the very first album that I played electric bass on for my father in uh, 1981 that won a Grammy. And uh, and then the 
the last one we received was uh, just a few years ago. So it's it's been great that uh, we've been able to do this, and I'm looking forward to continuing to put out, you know, I'd love to do a whole series of the music of Claire Fisher uh, albums where I can write a large ensemble, either big band or rhythm section and orchestra arrangements of songs, originals of my father that were, um, they're only, they're only recording available of those particular songs right now are, let's say in trio quartet quintet format. And not that those, those small group recordings weren't great, but I, you know, they're, the uh, the fantastic uh, sonic architecture in there deserves to be uh, also fleshed out for a a larger ensemble. And and I just love yeah. that. I mean, as I've studied your game, and you were nice enough to send us an advanced copy of some of your work. The the, the big band uh, instrumentation is just it's it's what. Uh, my my parents love. I grew up surrounded by it, uh, uh, Brent. I mean, you occurs to me that uh, you know while I was buying, my family was buying records. You were you were making records in your family, uh, so you had uh, quite an experience. But uh, uh, fell in love with it at an early age. Uh, maybe didn't have much choice, but that's what made my parents happy, and uh, and I was exposed to it through osmosis. I developed a, a taste for it and an ear for it. And uh, I had the experience of uh, taking lessons. My first music teacher was a horn player with uh, Tommy Dorsey, and uh, you know he wouldn't uh, transcribe music that I wanted. He he, he made me play stuff that that he liked and knew. And uh, so my whole book of uh, played and practiced music was, you know, uh, stuff from the the 30s, 40s, and 50s mostly. And uh, so I was surrounded and uh i thank thank my lucky stars that that was the case um well yes i i i know that you have um so you were about 15 as i understand it brent when you really started working in earnest with your father is that right to say yes mm-hmm. yeah that was the, and, the first and, and, the first uh, gigs that i did were at age 15 i was 16 uh-huh. when we made the first album uh and that's when i yep. joined the musicians union and uh yeah, went on from there. And I know the yeah. dynamics uh, involved, or, or that can be involved in a in a father and son working in close quarters together. I used to try to hold the flashlight for my dad when he was working under the kitchen sink, and uh, I'll just tell you that sometimes unkind words were said. Uh, were you two? <laughs> were you two? Com- were you compatible? Uh, it, it went in production. I mean, was that always a smooth thing? Well, I, I I would hope so because we did it for thirty two whole years together. Um, we, you know, yep, there yep. there was there was the father son relationship, of course, where you kind of you know uh, uh, have little disagreements every once in a while, and um, those you know those were part of our working relationship at times, but most of the time, sure. uh, it was absolutely professional. Now. He was, you know, as a as a band leader, he was merciless on me in my playing. I had, you know, I, I ah. was a I was a, a 15-year-old kid playing bass with, uh, you know, Claire Fisher on keyboards, Pancho Sanchez on congas, uh, typically Luis Ponte or maybe Alex Acuna on timbales, and then some yep. other great drummers, Wilfredo Reyes. 
no pressure there. Brent, are you there? Brent, are you there, friend? Hello, hello. We may have lost Brent. Brent, if you're hearing me, go ahead and dial back in. We'll uh, we'll, we'll we'll punch you up. But uh, what he's describing is uh, really a who's who uh, from a musician musicianship standpoint, and to be uh, placed uh, right in the middle of all of that, it's uh, had to be just a just a, a, a load of pressure. I can't even fathom it. Um, I think Brent will dial back in here in a second. But uh, gee whiz, yeah, the the, the I remember, um, you know, just the dynamic between a father and son can be can be very complicated. And mine mine was healthy, but 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 complicated, particularly when I'd hand mine the wrong tool or something. Let me. I see Brent is back with us. Brent, you were saying. Yeah, I'm sorry, I've got, I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes, we've got you live. Yep. Great, great. Not, okay, so I mean, just yeah, just basically to to finish up the story, we had a great working sh- uh, relationship together. He was, uh, you know, he was a, a a strict band leader, and you know, everybody everybody got something from him uh, in, in order to make sure that they were playing the music exactly the way that he needed it for his creative vision. And uh, he was very tough on me, and I'm a better musician for having had that. I. I wouldn't have yes. wanted somebody who just said, "Oh yeah, you sound great, kid. Thanks." Um, so, right. So that's right. you know, that's the way it all unfolded. But uh, there was a gradual handing over of the baton, sort of literally and figuratively, as he asked me to start writing for the different Claire Fisher ensembles uh, in the early 2000s, and then finally handing over all the duties of directing the Claire Fisher bands and uh, producing the albums. Uh, starting in 2003, and at that point, uh, it was just, uh, you know, I considered it my greatest calling to just keep him as involved in the project as he could in the last years of his life, and it was great. We had Claire Fisher Ensemble so that he, uh, if he wasn't having a great day health-wise, he could just uh, attend the performance or the session and, and sit there in the audience and enjoy hearing all of his great music uh, and stuff that I had written for the band. And uh, if he was having a good day, then maybe he'd sit in for a tune or two or play a solo piano piece. And uh, so it was, it was a fantastic experience, you know, for, for whatever the, uh, the, the few times that we, you know, may have uh, gone at each other with the, you know, the, the teenage son things that, (laughs) that happened, you know, you know, between teenage sons and their fathers, those were very few. And, far between you know i i got into it a little bit of mischief when i was a teenager but uh i i was yeah i was pretty straightforward all the time so we we did a lot of stuff yeah. and it was high pressure but we we got it all done you know including uh yeah. the uh the, the the grammy telecast which i guess probably probably the biggest performance i've ever done was playing in the orchestra that we wrote for uh, Prince and Beyonce uh, doing a medley to open the 2004 Grammy Awards telecast. So I, got, I was performing in front of uh, 20,000 people and then 40 million oh. viewers worldwide. 40 million. Uh, however, the largest audience that I've ever had in a jazz setting was uh, was actually a couple of different um, festivals that I played at where we had some 25,000 people. Uh, and that's, oh. you know... I would say that's just as fun as as playing in a nightclub for fifty or seventy people. It's it's just uh, yeah. you know the 
one experience is a little more intimate, <laughs> of course. Oh, but, sure, uh, sure, it's, it's sure. all the same. Well, yeah. yeah, you you respected them equally, I'm sure. You wanted to put your best foot forward in either instance, and uh, that's what makes you great, uh, Brent. I mean, that was, um, you know, uh, maybe one of the lessons you learned in working with your dad. I just think uh, <clears throat> I can't imagine it, but uh, you know, it's uh, it's I'm, I'm amazed when when people tell me stuff like that and uh, can rise to that occasion and and flourish. And uh, and achieve at, at the very highest level. Um, I want to play one of your songs uh, here uh, as we uh, kind of familiarize our listenership with your good works. Um, uh, uh, Pro- Promenade Parallel Universe is one. Uh, as I listen to it, I hear a, a soaring introduction before uh, launching into you know some serious swing and a trombone solo that uh, is just a delight. Uh, what what would you add to to that song? How did it come about? May I ask? Oh yeah, so that was that was from my pictures at an exhibition album, and actually I'll let you know yeah. this uh, this particular song is a bonus track from the CD. It's not available uh-huh. on streaming. I try my best to encourage physical ownership of music because it compensates artists better, and and really is what helps propel the industry. Um, you know, continue to propel the industry forward. So if, uh, if any of your listeners out there have uh, thrown away their old DVD and CD players, I, I uh, would uh, urge you to think about the economic benefits of not having to pay a streaming fee every month and uh, just uh, listen to the radio, listen to the podcast, find out the music you like, and then own it. You, you pay once for it and yes. then you have it for the rest of your life. And, and uh, That's right. we get compensated much better than if you had streamed the music hundreds of times. So, so this is a bonus track mm-hmm. only available with the physical purchase of the CD. And the yep. whole idea came about as wanting to take this grand work, Pictures at an Exhibition by Mazursky, written 150 years ago, and yes. give it a jazz treatment in which... The uh, in, in which the classical elements would remain intact. They, in other words, I didn't set out to jazz them up. I doubled the uh, the, the notational values of every melody so that it wouldn't sound uh, like a jazz swing piece. Even though I've got the rhythm section and all the background horns and everything like that swinging hard around them, uh, yep. the melodies remain intact. And that was my main thing was to present a version of this piece that uh, highlighted what I've gleaned from work with my father, Claire Fisher, and a lot of the other musicians that I've been fortunate to work with uh, over the decades, uh, which you, you mentioned some of them there at the beginning. So uh, that was the, yep. that was the uh, origin of this particular piece. Let's give it a spin.
That's so lovely. Thank you. Uh, Brett, yeah, it must make you proud to hear that, man. I'll tell you, that just has a broad smile on my face. Uh, wonderful. And what a, what a journey, what a ride it takes you on. Uh, I, I listen to that, and, and when I hear an ensemble uh, that clearly are playing on this one that just absolutely nails it, uh, I, I think of something that, uh, that, that Larry Carlton, you're familiar with Larry Carlton, the, the jazz guitarist, uh, did a lot of work on sure, the Steel and Dan album. Sure, I with my father not long ago, about 20 years fact, or something ago. Sure. I'll be darned. Well, he he had uh, loosely translated. He said, you know, we would have to practice uh, in the making of Asia, which is one of their maybe more important albums. He said we would have to practice sure. it, you know, endlessly to the point where we, you know, almost hated these tunes. But we would play them. Uh, to, to the point of perfection and then just slightly beyond, believing that if, if they did it that way, uh, there would be less tension in their fingers and they would play uh, better in, in you know, what would ultimately be recorded. Uh, can, can you relate to that? Well, I, I believe in the, absolutely in the idea of preparing music well. And I like the fact yeah. that in this particular case, we didn't, I didn't just write the music, throw it in front of the band for a couple of rehearsals, and then go in and record it. And, I mean, I've done yes. that before, and that's fine, and we've gotten some great recordings. But this, in this particular case, we had a chance to really work things up and have everybody be very comfortable with it uh, when we went into the studio. And so, yeah, yeah yes. I, I mean, part of that is the way that this music is written with uh, there are contrapuntal elements in there reminiscent of Bach. There are some non-jazz harmony elements in there that are, I would say, you know, there's as much, the, 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 the harmonies that I use uh, are sort of channeled through Claire Fisher, but come from not just uh, great players like um, uh, Ellington Strayhorn, uh, Lenny Tristano and some of these other people that I've listened to a lot over the years, uh, Alan Holdsworth, mm-hmm. also Jeff Berlin, big fans of theirs. But, uh, but there, there's an equal amount of uh, influence from uh, Stravinsky, Shostakovich, Bartok especially uh, is, uh, are, is another source for uh, chord voicings. And, uh, and uh. besides that, there's, you know, there's the, the, the rock, funk, and R&B background that I have there. It all gets assimilated into jazz, as I believe, style this unique genre can only do uh, I, I don't know that you can yes. assimilate all these elements of so many different styles into a jazz framework as well I yep. mean, people have tried to do it in other genres but uh, but I felt like it really it really uh, has you know a chance to flourish in the jazz idiom and I think the the audience members are uh, willing to explore in in this realm too you know they're not just uh, yes. stuck like mm. some people in some genres where they you know it's got to be it's got to be this way otherwise you can't say that's really that genre you know i, I think that the jazz yeah. field has a much wider variety and so uh, yeah i'm just happy that that uh, we were able to get this recorded and make it available to uh listeners and and also be added to many many other arrangements that have been done, you know, one of the most often recorded uh, classical pieces, um, you know, in the, in the last 
150 years. It's been performed in so many different ways by so many different orchestras, jazz bands, rock bands. Uh, I don't know if they have a heavy metal version of it yet, but I wouldn't be surprised. And <laughs> well, uh, you know, yeah, why not try what the future holds? Yeah, yeah. There are no rules. Uh, all that we have to have is, uh, you know, a, a willingness to experiment and a little courage. And uh, you know, you mentioned uh, uh, you're kind of implying uh, that if people will have a curiosity about new types of music, things that you know, maybe don't fit exactly in a box. Uh, I think that's one of the challenges, the headwinds that uh, jazz uh, musicians, uh, folks like yourself face is just that it is uh, a little easier, a little harder, I should say, to get your ear around some of it. And uh, it, it takes uh, a little bit more uh, work to pick up on some of the uh, the, the, the subtleties that are that are being uh, played for you, and uh, but when you do, it's a deeper experience has been has been my uh, finding, uh, Brent. And uh, I just I just wish that yes. uh, you know as we as we seek to grow, you know that's one of the, the cornerstones of this show is, is to is to grow this genre. Uh, I would just wish more people would would give it a give it a chance because if they did. Uh, there's there's just you know wonderful joy in it and, and in such such tough times. I mean, I do believe too that uh, music can be curative. I mean, it can absolutely be sad for the for the weary soul. And uh, everybody's carrying something, you know. Everybody's got something they're contending with. And boy, music is is the greatest uh, the greatest medicine for for me. Uh, so you mission accomplished, my friend. Uh, whatever you were uh, hoping to achieve there, you did, and then some. Um, hey, I want to play. Uh, I want to play new thing uh, too here, if, if if you don't mind, Brent. Uh, this is a different song, and this just sort of uh, points out the uh, the difference that this uh, particular combo is is capable of. Uh, when I listened to it, um, you know, it was uh, a real toe tapper. Um, you know, a fun little shuffle. Uh, tasteful horn pops, an arrangement that uh, had my toe going all wiggly and a wonderful uh, sax solo <laughs> to boot. What would you What would you like to add, Brett? Yeah, that was uh, that was basically. It started out with an idea that uh, I, this was back in 1990 that I first started tinkering with this piece. I wanted to have something that I could write on my computer using virtual instruments, but then uh, still have it actually playable by real musicians. And it's not an easy uh -huh. piece to work up. And uh, we, you know, we spent quite a few hours um, uh, preparing it before we went into the studio. And, uh, and, and the, but the, the ideas of where everything came from, it shows again, the variety in my influence, uh, in, in, the, in the types of influences that I've had over the decades, a lot of this that I shared with my father. You know, we were always, yeah. uh, he'd, he'd come in to my, uh, you know, my place one time and tell me, look at this, listen to this uh, new recording I found. And I'd do the same thing with him. And we were both coming from huh. different areas because he was uh, yeah. mainly in the, in the end of his life, he was mainly searching out uh, unusual orchestral works um, that sort of coincided with this whole idea of, uh, you know, chromatic tonality and uh, music that is complex and uh, intricate, yet still beautiful and sonorous and accessible 
to uh, let's say a non you know a non musician listener because those are those are most of our listeners and so the whole sure. idea is you have stuff there for the uh, for the general audience but you also have something there for the musicians who have really trained ears and can pick out these things and yeah. uh, sort of you know enjoy them on a deeper level I always say it's like it's like when you see a beautiful building when you're walking down the street wow look at that architecture that's phenomenal. But then, uh, you know, besides that, if you want to get deeper into it, you can go inside. You can look at the rest of the architecture, how it's built on the inside. Uh, what, what did they do with it? And then, you know, uh, if you're really into whatever, construction and all that stuff, you can start uh, tapping on the walls and say, oh, yeah, I see they did, did this in the construction there, and I like the arches over there. So it's, it's that whole thing. There's the, there's the uh, intuitive sort of immediate uh, understanding of, of uh, what's going on, but then you can also get a deeper listen. And, and I think that's, that's also what I'm writing for, so that when you listen to it each time, you can maybe pay attention to a different aspect and, uh, yes, and have something yes. different to focus on each time, you know? Absolutely. And again, like poetry, whatever I know about poetry, you can put in a thimble. But uh, what I do know is you've got to read it three, four, five, six times. And uh, the same is true of a lot of good music. A uh, new thing. Let's spin that for our listeners.
Such a such a wonderful job, Brent. Uh, they're building tension and and then paying it off so tastefully. I know that's not easy. Thank you. Uh, but God, do you achieve it there and uh, in everything I've heard so far of your good works? Um, it, it, when when I hear a, a piece like that, which obviously is uh, full of complexities and uh, interesting uh, rhythms and uh, instrumentation. Um, how do you know when you're done? I mean, isn't that one of the challenges? Is uh, I think I don't know if it was Picasso or one of the great artists said, you know, one of the keys to making the best art is knowing when to stop painting. Uh, how do you know when you're done? Absolutely, and that's what that's what I often uh, mention to people when I'm doing uh, seminars or other uh, things, you know, other productions where I'm talking to people about the process of writing music. You know, when you when you finish with a piece or when you finish with your final mix and you're ready to release your album, it's the process of abandonment in a way. You're saying, ah, interesting. That, okay, yeah. I, feel, I feel like this has been a really good spot. I could go and tweak it for the rest of my life and, and come up with <laughs> this or that. And, you know, that happens every time after I do an arrangement for somebody. I never, I never go back and think to myself, oh, I wish I had done that as well. No, because I'm comfortable with leaving it there even though the arrangemental ideas will continue long after i finish that work for that artist um sure. they're just you know other fun ideas that go around in my head and that may give me an idea for something that i'll do in the future but yeah what you're doing is you're saying i'm ready to leave this now and uh yeah and and i feel like it's i feel like it's achieved its objective and so yeah i I I don't I don't have any hesitation. You know, when when I'm when I'm finished with something, I I, I know uh, I know everything that I have wanted to achieve has been finished, and then I I know how to go in the studio and make it all happen to uh, turn the notes on paper into real life art with uh, with the help of these phenomenal musicians that I'm so lucky to have had a chance to work with and I'm still working with now, um, even here in the twenties. Yes. Well, you're, you're in the epicenter arguably of, uh, the greatest players on the planet, jazz players in particular. And, uh, what, a, what, a, we're so glad that that is, uh, your experience, uh, cause it just, uh, makes for a, a better product that we are enjoying. I can tell you, um, Brent, let's take a quick little break, and when we come back, I want to shift gears with you a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about uh, maybe some of the specific work you've done with uh, certain of your artists and uh, maybe some 
some funny things that happened along the way, if, if you'll indulge us. Absolutely. Do you have about four hours? <laughs> and now a quick word from our sponsors. Stay tuned. If you dig what you're hearing, friends, why not pick up some Jazz Mill and Soul Message Band merchandise? High-quality mugs and tees that are certain to make you the happiest cat around. Just take out your phone, ease on over to thejazzmill.net, click on the Swag tab, and get your order down. It's quick, it's simple, it's safe, and your satisfaction is 100% guaranteed. For some sales, help jazz musicians against cancer, the Multiple Sclerosis Association of America, and the ASPCA. Welcome back for more great music and lively discussion on the Jazz Mill with your host, Scott Henderson. Well, welcome back, folks. We are visiting with Brett Fisher, Grammy Award-winning producer, composer, arranger, and musician. Uh, he has worked with everyone from Michael Jackson to Prince and uh, literally everyone. He's been uh, a part of 30 million albums uh, out there, uh, and, and boy, uh, we're learning some things here about his process and uh, wonderful stories uh, uh, to come here, I know. Uh, Brent, did you did you happen to see uh, the Beatles' uh, Get Back documentary? No, that's uh, still on my list of things to do. I yeah, I don't have a lot of time to watch TV these days. No, but, you, uh, don't. you know, you don't. Let me tell you one of my takeaways, and this maybe is the the, the key to their longevity. I know they they were together for quite a while, brought us a lot of great music, but um, in that it was a glimpse. Uh, inside the the studio with them, that was the whole idea: is that they would, uh, you know, spend a week uh, as they prepared for uh, their rooftop concert um, uh, in Liverpool. I think it was. Uh, I couldn't help but notice how uh, cordial they were uh, as they suggested uh, changes to, you know, somebody else's work, particularly Paul and John or John to Paul. And uh, uh, I, I just think of. What what might have been uh, a difficult thing to navigate, uh, negotiate uh, discussions with, uh, say, Michael Jackson and, and, and Prince, when you're trying to put something uh, together, uh, a layer to their music, uh, that must have had its own set of challenges. Am I right to assume it? Well, it's it's not just the artist, then it's also um, all of the the management, the record company, um, there can be <laughs> right. all sorts of uh, places where the inter- interpersonal, um, you know, uh, negotiations can uh, e- either have something beautiful come out of it or, or actually can stop the project cold. Uh, yeah. You know, and yep. I, can, I can remember specifically uh, my dad having uh, issues with, certain producers in the industry in the seventies and eighties that, uh, you know, they just didn't get along together. And I, and I watched that stuff happen as a kid. And I, and I decided uh, that when I was growing up, I wanted to make sure I had kind of a holistic approach to working with artists and labels that would enable like a, you know, a win always to have a win-win situation where everybody was happy with the idea. So, yeah, I have, I have no hesitation to throw ideas into people when I feel that it's something that they would like or to make a suggestion. Um, 
And, you know, sometimes you, sometimes they accept it. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes you find a a happy medium in between, but uh, you know, it's, it's always been uh, a great process of collaboration and achievement. That's, you know, that's what we, that's what we set out to do. Right. And if a few interesting things happen along the way, then uh, that's, you know, that's just the way it unfolds. Yeah. Well, Tell us about a time or two that you think would be uh, interesting to their to this audience, uh, Brent. I know, uh, you know, those names are the who's who. I mean, we grew up with them, and uh, you know, I just uh, everybody that you've worked with is impressive. But uh, were there some in particular that you enjoyed your work with? Them? Let me ask it that way. Oh yeah, I mean, so many. When we, uh, you know, when I when I was a kid working in my dad's Latin jazz group with Poncho Sanchez, Alex Acuna, Luis oh, Conte, yeah. Alfredo Reyes, all those greats. We got, we had a lot of fun just joking on the road. And of course, me being, <laughs> you know, underage, there were a lot of times when we we'd go outside for the break after playing at a nightclub or something. Then we'd walk back in, and the bouncer would 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 stop me and he said hey man you can't let me see your id are you, are you, going to, you can't come in here and uh and then the band you know would step in and say no no man he's with us he's with us and and then he wouldn't believe them and you know yeah. then somebody would have to go get the, the the nightclub owner or the manager or something to say no man he, he, he needs to go on stage right now let him in <laughs> and so that you know those types of things happened uh, quite often, and I remember there was one there was one great gig that we were doing. Uh, I can't remember where right now, but the, um, my dad was you know talking. He was he was talking to the band guys about you know sensitivity, and we so we have three you know between the drummer Congero Timbalero, we have three percussionists in a band of six people, and he was yeah. talking about you know mm-hmm. we need to play soft sometimes. We need to be really sensitive about this stuff, and and he said okay now guys. When we get to the, I can't remember what section. When we get to the bridge section, I want I want to make sure that you are playing really softly. And Alex Acuna looked yes. at him and he said, "So you mean almost not playing?" And and my dad answered, "Yes, but with great emotion and intensity." And that was that was the whole idea that yeah. it was it was yeah. always it was fun, and it was a learning experience for us all every day. And I mean, I, yeah. I've had yeah. so many things happen like that over the years where I'm just, uh, you know, amazed by the capabilities of these guys. There was, there was a rehearsal that we were doing for the pictures at an exhibition album one time. And somebody was having mm. a problem with one of the keys on their saxophone and all the other saxophonists oh, jumped in and they were started, started using this terminology about the names of all the different parts. And it, it turned out they all, you know, had done little repairs on their own and I was just, I was, I was amazed watching these guys. They look like scientists that were, you know, it really is like rocket surgery at that point. And right, they, right. and they got this thing repaired. I mean, there, there was a got time when uh, I took the, I took the big band down to uh, Brazil and we were doing a concert playing Brazilian music for Brazilian people and got a standing yeah. ovation, by the way, which really made me proud. Oh, uh, but, uh, you know, we, we we uh, we we had to borrow some instruments down there because some of them were too big to transport from the U.S. or too expensive. You know, I have a lot of no unusual woodwinds in my band, including bass sax. That's the the lower, the bigger brother of yeah. baritone sax. Oh yeah. And then uh, E flat contrabass clarinet, 
Uh, I've used sopranino sax, alto flute. So we have a little bit of everything in there. I've even got some pieces for uh, with a contrabassoon in the woodwind section. But uh, we we had to we had to you know get borrow some of these down in Brazil because they were. Uh, too expensive to ship from the U.S., and uh, the guys had to repair them, you know, in the process of even just transporting them across the country there. They got a little damaged, and and it's just amazing what these guys are able to do, these these horn players, uh, you know, what they they can do with their instruments. And, uh, and, and you know, there's a – yeah, I think think people don't realize sometimes there's a lot of work that goes into maintenance – of instruments uh like for me my my main instruments are electric bass and vibraphone uh you know the electric bass kind of takes care of itself um sure. vibraphone sure. I, i'll usually uh, get one provided to me wherever i go i usually don't travel yep. with my yep. vibraphone so uh, sure. but you know there's a lot of work that goes into maintaining those uh, those instruments so that they can you know, uh, just really do their do their job and and perform and play beautiful music, and have it. Nobody would realize. Nobody would realize what had just unfolded. You know, five minutes prior to going on stage with a last minute instrument repair or something like that. Um, so yeah, it's a uh, help together with. But if you have if you have time for one, uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I'm listening, Brent. Carry on. Yep. Oh yeah, I was just going to say if you wanted to, if you wanted to hear uh, one other story, I, I, this this one uh, relates to uh, my dad. That uh, you know we we worked uh, for Prince for uh, basically a quarter of a century, you know, off and wow. on, just every every year or every you know maybe a year would go by that we wouldn't hear from him. But then eventually he'd send some more stuff, and and he was uh, you know a big fan of. Claire Fisher for the reason that uh, just like Prince was in his realm, sort of the master of his domain, and he got to have final say on how the production yes. of the album went. Well, so it was yes. for Claire Fisher too. And, and I think a, a lot of record labels were wise enough to realize that Claire Fisher knew what he was doing and just let him, you know, just support him as he's doing it. And, uh, and so I think Prince really liked that. And, he was supposed to show up to the first recording session we had in L.A. when we were going to add orchestra on uh, for him. But uh, he, he couldn't make it. And, you know, I was, just, I was just my father's assistant at that time, helping him with I would transcribe Prince's music. And we, you know, coordinate over uh, hiring the orchestra and things like that. But uh, mm-hmm. so he, he was doing all this writing here. It was long distance. You know, Prince sent the, the tape from Minneapolis and. We uh, we had to add the orchestra on. We let him know when the session was. He said he was going to be there, but then he didn't show up. Something precluded him in his uh, schedule from uh, getting out here. And he yeah. called afterwards when he got the tapes back, and he said, I am so amazed by the result. And I'm thinking to myself, if I had been there at the session, something might have gone down differently. I'm not saying that that's good or bad, but it probably would have been different. And But I yes. love what you've done for me so much that I will never attend a Fisher recording session ever. And he never did. He sent the tapes out, <laughs> that he added the music back, and we sent them back to him. Yeah. And even when we did the, uh, the Grammy telecast together, I met Prince. That was the one and only time uh, in either of yeah. our lives that we met. Uh, but, um, you know, he, he had this sort of, uh, it was like a mystical impression of Claire Fisher. I, th- I think there was one time there was, 
the uh, the vocal album Claire Fisher and Two Plus Two present Free Fall. That was an album that won a Grammy in 1987 after he'd been working with Prince for a couple of years. And uh, so Prince, you know, said, "Wow, congratulations on your Grammy! Send send me an album. I want to hear it." And we were told by Prince's assistant that when she handed him the album, he turned his eyes away and he said, "Put it on. I want to hear it." but I don't want to know what Claire Fisher looks like because I have this image of him oh. in my head. And I don't want to spoil oh. that. So he wow. was very mystical yeah. about the whole thing. And even though Claire Fisher yeah. was there at the 2004 Grammy telecast, he did not want to meet him um, because he, he was, you know, a little bit uh, superstitious that way. And there was a yeah. point at which we were walking up the ramp to get ready for the telecast. And right. I was walking behind my father because he was 78 years old at the time. And, and uh, I, I wanted to make sure he was able to make it up this ramp without uh, getting in any, any trouble. And uh, once I was sure that he was, uh, you know, he was in good shape, I looked up and I noticed there's Prince standing one foot away from him. Also, just sort of <laughs> casually walking up the ramp to go onto the stage. And my yeah. first instinct yeah. was to say, Prince, meet Claire Fisher. Claire Fisher, here's the guy you've been working with for the past, I don't know, I think it was 20 years at that point. And, uh, and then I, but I remembered at the last minute that, you know, Prince had, had said he didn't want to meet him. And so I decided <laughs> to respect his wishes. And, and I held yeah, my tongue. And I, so I'm, I'm the only witness of, of watching those two stand <laughs> one foot apart, never having met each other, <laughs> even though they worked together for 25 years. That there you is go. So great. You must have been bursting. I mean, but boy, you caught yourself right at the last second. That is so great. I mean, sometimes, you know, you meet your heroes and sometimes it's, they're, they're just different, you know, not that they're less or more or any of that. They're just different than what you had in mind. And uh, I can kind of get that, I, I think. Uh, imagine me understanding Prince's perspective. But uh, yeah, a titan. I mean, just an absolute dynamo. And uh, uh, that he came to trust you uh, as he did, as you described, Brent, is, 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 a, is the highest compliment. Uh, you know, and he would have changed the dynamic of a session. Uh, you, you'd have to agree. Uh, him standing in the wings and you know offering input would have definitely changed that dynamic. Uh, so. Uh, <laughs> you, 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 you took a you took an opportunity and you ran with it and uh, and it lasted for you know years and years as as you point out uh, that's a great one that is uh, that is such a wonderful recollection and of all the artists that you mentioned uh, in different places as I've researched you you know Prince is the one I thought I, I just knew there'd be some meat there I had a hunch that uh, <laughs> there would have been something interesting uh, he just. He had that it factor times a hundred, didn't he? Just a real yeah, plus good. He had, you know, he had very wide ranging tastes. I mean, he he loved all the uh, well, and, and actually so did Robert Palmer. Now that was there was another person who oh. hired Claire Fisher for a lot of string arrangements. That actually was uh, hiring yes. him to do uh, some big band tunes. You know, "You're My Thrill" uh. and all these other uh great american songbook standards that robert palmer did with you know in a big band situation before it was even popular for uh to go and and do big band recordings um that yes. was that was an amazing experience and and, and so prince and, and a lot of these other people let us just sort of run with it and even to this day i will 
get uh, uh, artists contacting me and and uh, and have very few instructions. You know, I mean, there are some guys that are micromanagers, yeah. of course, and they they like to have a hand in everything. And and I love working with their ideas and collaborating throughout the whole process with them. But there are other people who who also say, you know what, I, I'm hiring you for um, your different approach. And, uh, and so I, I really don't want to say anything at this point, just go ahead and do what you do. And, um, yes, that's how it was with, uh, with, uh, Questlove from El- when we did the Elvis Costello and the roots recording, I had, you know, some pretty yep. much complete autonomy. I just had to okay the, the, the orchestra size with the record company, but I pretty much had autonomy there. And, uh, <laughs> same thing with, same thing with the uh, D'Angelo thing, which we did, which I, th- I thought was really interesting. That Now, that won a Grammy for the best R&B song, even though mm-hmm. it's kind of a jazzy tune. It's got a walking bass line. And, you know, the, the, the drum beat is yeah. more kind of like a hip-hop shuffle or, or something like that than it is jazzy. But, there again, these combinations, uh, I, I feel there's, there's a real close relationship between jazz R&B and gospel because they kind of have the huh. same uh, parent language. And, um, yeah. and so I think that's why, that's why I have ended up working with so many R&B artists over the years as an orchestral arranger, because there is that sort of acceptance of these huge jazz elements that one can put into that, which, you know, doesn't, doesn't necessarily work for uh, for artists and some of the other, let, let's say, straight-ahead pop music or straight-ahead rock and things like that. Uh, so it's it's been, yeah, it's been great to have that that influence. But, I, I mean, if you have time, you have time for one more story? Please, please, please. Okay, so there's this time. We were doing, uh, we were doing a recording session. I should, you know, probably... We, we we don't want to name names in this particular case, but uh, we were doing a, a recording session for a, a major, um, and this was years ago, and then we had a couple of uh, producers in there, one of whom had been a, a former pop star himself, turned producer, as you know is often the case, and then uh, they brought in actually a, another guy to sort of uh, co-produce with him because the record company wasn't necessarily happy with what the guy was doing on his own. So they had two producers in there. So that's a lot of chefs in the, in the kitchen already. Yeah, and yeah, and then sir. you have my dad who was very strong willed and, you know, he knew what he wanted uh, out of the orchestra and he knew how to get it um, from them in a, in a recording session. And so we're going through a recording. Everything is sounding great. They're liking it very much, but then they say, you know, as, as, as we get thinking about it, uh, Claire, we have uh, a couple of notes that we'd like you to remove. Um, we're, we're just not sure that they, you know, they fit with our, our, our goal here for what the string should be doing. And then they started, you know, they would play a, a little snippet. They would play like, you know, a, a, a small phrase or something. And then they'd point out yeah. this note or that note that they wanted removed. And, uh, and my dad, you know, took it in stride and he said, all right, well, yeah, that's, that's one of my hot notes there. Um, but, uh, okay, I'll take it out. And so he, he, you know, said, okay, second violin, play a G instead of an E, please. And, and then they, uh, you know, made adjustments on their chart, and we recorded again. They listened back. So we love it, Claire. There are just, uh, you know, we just wanted a, a couple more. And so this went on for about a half hour. 
and, okay. and, and yeah. you know, he was still being very good-natured about it. He said, okay, how about now? How do you like it now? And he said, you know, we, we <laughs> love it. We absolutely love it. There are just a few more hot notes uh. that we need to remove, Claire. And he yeah. said, oh, yeah. we're, we're, we've taken away all the hot notes. We're in the, into the warm ones now. <laughs> and, <laughs> and everybody laughed, you know, and, but, uh, you know, there yeah. Was, yeah, there was a little tension from that. But, uh, but yeah, everybody remained good natured about it and we got the recording session done and they compromised and uh and you know we we got this we got this stuff done and it turned out to do very well for the artists and everybody at the record company was happy and so it was all fine so these you know these are the some of the things that can (laughs) happen uh during a production yeah we're down to the warm notes notes. yeah we're down to just the warm notes There'll be no more changes. Uh, on we go. Man. One, two, the councilman. That is so great. Well, that's part of that negotiation that I was talking about with the Beatles. Uh, it, it, yeah. A lot of finesse, right? A lot of finesse as you get down to the to the final version of things. And uh, boy, what a what a pressure cooker, though. I mean, I I can only imagine. <laughs> uh, you know, fun. Uh, I bet it's equal parts fun and uh, and and it's a high wire act, isn't it, uh, Brent? I think well, of most jazz of the time in it's general. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, most of the time it's absolutely exhilarating, and you you just uh, you know yeah. come away from the the process uh, completely energized. And boy, I can uh, yeah, I can just remember so many times. Uh, feeling well, it's it's like doing a good workout at the gym or something like that. You get done, yeah. You, you know, you're pumped Endorphin. up after that, and, right? Uh, the endorphins are the same as a, a great, you know, great performance. There are some nights when the band just really does everything right, and uh, you know, even if there are any uh, human error things, they're really small and people cover them up well. You know, I mean, that's that's part of the whole process of live performance, right? It, it's only a mistake. Yeah if you let people know about it. And, That's uh, right. That's you, right. You know, I, yeah, I, I can remember, I can remember hearing guys that they maybe would uh, go for a high note and, and they wouldn't quite make it and they'd hit another note instead, but then they'd work that other note into their next line and they would, you yes. know, they, okay, <laughs> that's how it came out. So I'm going to run with it. And here's what right. we're going to do next. And they just, go, yeah. you know, rather than being disappointed in themselves or anything like that, they just they just run with it and continue on. And uh, and I, you know, I might be able to tell what was going on there, but uh, I, I'm I'm not sure if somebody back in the you know 15th row can tell. Um, well, that's because, the thing, right? That's because why these, you keep going, right? It, it, yeah, it, it, I think San, San, it might have been Santana. Somebody said something like that. It was like it's not the Slam you play, it's what you play next. And uh, t- to your point, right? <laughs> um, I-, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to uh, last week's show. We were visiting with uh, Scott Yanow. He's a- an LA based um, uh, reviewer, uh, liner notes. Oh, he yeah. does it all. He's sure, written, I know written a bunch Scott. of books. And good guy. And we'll be doing part two with him tomorrow. But um, I told him hey, a little story tell that, hi, that I'll tell. I beg your pardon? Oh, tell him I said hello, please. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I was great, definitely great I was, writer. I was, he is a great writer and a good guy. I told him uh, this story, and you, as a uh, conductor, band leader, would would appreciate it. I, I think uh, Jeff 
uh, Hamilton, the drummer. He also has a, an orchestra with uh, uh, John Clayton oh, yeah. that I'm sure you'll know about. Um, mm-hmm. it, we're here. Uh, Jeff Hamilton was working with the uh, DuPaul Big Band, and they were playing at a club uh, called the Jazz Showcase in Chicago. Smaller venue, but they had about a 20-piece ensemble. Uh, young student players, uh, emphasis on young. But uh, Hamilton played with them, and you could, he was attempting to kind of pass the torch and just usher them along. And uh, uh, at one point during a song, a tenor player stood up, and this kid was uh, wide-eyed and uh, kind of made a mess of his uh, two courses. And uh, Hamilton, uh, in the blink of an eye, uh, caught the uh, band leader's eye and made a, a motion as if to say, let's give him another couple of laps on this thing. And the band leader got that message from Jeff, who then in turn uh, got it to the player. And the kid took a couple of more swings around the block and, and nailed it. I mean, he absolutely nailed it. And uh, I don't know how many people saw it in the audience, but my brother and I did. And uh, that's what makes you love this 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 uh, type of music is just the uh, the spontaneity of it, the uh, the risk involved, and uh, and when things like that can happen, and you know that had to be uh, really meaningful to that young player, and, and perhaps critical in his professional career. Uh, and we saw it live; we saw it right in front of us. It was beautiful. Um, that's and, and that's what that's what comes from. Uh, having, you know, at least some of the people in that band having that experience so that we can, yes. uh, we can pass it on to the younger generation. And I mean, that, you know, that just re- reminds me, uh, I've, I've always been interested in having a combination of older and younger players. I've got guys in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and one no of kidding. them just turned 80. And, uh, and, so and, you know, cool. the older players pass along their wisdom and experience to the younger players. And then the younger players uh, keep, the, keep the older players on their toes and, and you know, sort of reinvigorate that fire <laughs> in them. Yes. Uh, and, yes. and, you know, don't let them sort of rest on their laurels there because they, they keep, you know, they keep them active. And, and so uh, it's, yes. it's a great exchange. And I'm sort of in the middle of that right now. So I'm, you know, younger than some of the oldest guys, and, and then I'm quite a bit older than some of the youngest guys. And, and to be able to have yeah. that exchange and, and uh, you know, have the, the older, older guys or all of us older guys learn just as much from the younger guys as they do from us. It's, uh, it's a, it, you know, we, we just, yeah, yes. we just had a band rehearsal the other day where it was, it was phenomenal. And we had such a, you know, a great experience. And I just told them after we finished uh you know, playing, reading through one song, I said, boy, I wish uh, my dad would have been here to uh, to hear the way you played that right then, because I know he would have loved it. I suspect he is there, uh, Brent. Um, you know, I would say, too, that the uh, the apple don't fall far from, from what I can tell after just a few minutes of knowing you. Uh, you you <laughs> get it. You understand. You understand. uh you know, you, you, you obviously have respect for the, the, the role in all of this that you have, that you've been you've been blessed to have, and you take it seriously. I know you uh, are uh, an ambassador for this wonderful music, and I, and I just uh, uh, applaud you for that because I know 
there are probably easier ways for for a guy to make a, a buck in, in the music business. But you're you're, you're playing in a in a category that uh, I just wish was uh, you know more uh, popular with the, with the general population. It just uh, really just stuns me that it's not. And I think as we said earlier, it it is a little tougher to pick up on for for a lot of people. Um, Nina Freelon, do, do you know Nina or have you heard of her? I, I suspect she's a, a wonderful well, vocalist. Yeah, she, does she, a lives, lot of... yeah, she, does, she doesn't live out here, so I don't see her, but uh, we're friends uh-huh. on Facebook and we trade messages. Are and, you? You know, uh, yeah, so she, she's a wonderful woman. Yeah, she's coming up on your, on your podcast, isn't she? She, she is. She's going to be a part of our um, uh, Christmas uh, special. She did a, a CD of holiday tunes, and she'll be on. She was on previously, and she made the point, uh, you know, about uh, jazz being everywhere. When, when people say to her, well, I don't really like jazz, and, and she'll suggest certain artists and, and uh, you know, invite them to, to sample their music. And they say, oh, yeah, I like that, but I still don't like jazz. And she'll make a case that, uh, you know, there is a thread of jazz in there, uh, whether you want to call it uh, jazz or not. You know, don't get too hung up on the on the, the, the label. Uh, does it touch you? And I think there's just, you know, if people will give it a chance, um, you know, I think, uh, in my opinion, the best players are making this music. Uh, they've got creativity. They've got the skills of classically trained musicians and uh and and they and they are doing it for you know uh pennies on the dollar for for some of these other uh categories of music which uh, you know bothers me but uh hey we're going to change that if we can and uh and your good works are certainly uh helping brant i just have one more question for you uh you got a lot of pressure to to perform and produce and uh, carry on this wonderful family legacy. How do you blow off steam? <laughs> well, that's interesting <laughs> because uh, I think I, I blow off steam just by, by going through um, unfinished projects, things that have been on the back uh, burner because there are, there, there is a lot of stuff I want to do in my life. And I, you know, I keep on thinking to myself as each decade passes, I keep on thinking, well, I need to take really good care of myself because I still, I still can see at least 25, 30 more years of work just to get what I want to get accomplished. And that's besides Absolutely. whatever else would pop up along the way. So, uh, yes. I, you know, I don't want to say it's all consuming, but, uh, but doing something else in my case where there's, this this variety of already built into my career of being able to perform and write and produce and record. So I, I just kind of switch from one to the other. I mean, I, I was doing a lot of writing over the summer. Uh, now it's time to perform again. For those of your listeners who will be actually in the Southern California area, we'll be doing a, uh, we'll be doing a concert this Sunday afternoon. And it's, uh, it's going to be a beautiful, uh, a beautiful fall day here in Los Angeles that uh, as I see in the weather forecast. So if, if anybody is listening and wants to come in here now, this is, this is one, another one of my father's groups that, that uh, had won several Grammys in the past. It's the Claire Fisher Latin jazz group and singers. And we'll be doing yeah. a lot of that vocal mm-hmm. material that made Claire Fisher famous in the eighties. And uh, with some of the original, you know, there are still some of the original, musicians that are performing it with me and uh, so this 
this is, you know, an amazing experience. And if you're interested in, in the area, all you have to do is go to Eventbrite and search Fisher Latin Jazz, and it'll come yes. up. Um, but and it uh, is, but if you're not, you know, we'll uh, we'll do something. We'll 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 do some type of a Facebook Live event or uh, perhaps something like that, or or get part of the performances up on uh, YouTube at some point so that uh, so that the rest of the world can take a look and enjoy. But I, I've been lucky over the years in that when we, you know, we have a, a fan base that's worldwide, and as long as we give them enough advance notice, we get people flying in from wherever, Australia or Europe or Isn't other cities around the U.S. and Canada to come and see one of our performances because, uh, you know, I've, I've told, uh, what is it, the, the – the, festival agents that I, I, I don't want to tour on a regular basis. It's it's too much to be gone, you know, 150, 200 days a year. And I, I did that a lot when I was yeah. younger. I like writing now. I like having time to be able to write music at home. Um, but, sure. uh, but I'm good. I'm good for a substitute if they ever if they ever get one of their artists that uh, can't make it. And I've done that. I've done that for people that will get a call, uh, you know, that, uh, oh, hey, we, we have a slot open for you. Can you fill it? And in the last minute, I'll put something together and we'll go fly out somewhere and do that. And that's that's yes. a great place to be in to be able to do that. So I kind of have the best of both worlds in this case. And and so it's just a, a question of uh, fulfilling the rest of my, you know, to-do list here, uh, which, uh, which I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm happy, I guess I'm happy to say at this point is quite long. And uh, there are, there are lots of great ways that we're going to be doing that in the future. And uh, some of them revolve around album projects and some of them revolve around um, the way that we're turning music, you know, sort of, uh, taking music into the digital realm as we get, you know, moving along here in the 21st century. Yes. Yes. Well, you are a, an amazing energy and talent. I can't think of a better and more capable conduit uh, for the, uh, when it comes to growing uh, jazz and uh, Latin jazz and uh, good music, let's, let's call it. Uh, You're doing that and have been for decades. Uh, Brent Fisher and we're, uh, very proud to have met you and know you. I'm going to call you a new friend and suggest to you that uh, these airwaves are yours now. If we can help you with any of your uh, good works, I know you're great about uh, the use of uh, uh, social media. We have your uh, thir- the, the event on the 13th uh, on our homepage of this uh, particular broadcast. People will find it there and. We'll push this out uh, right after air, and you'll be able to, to catch it uh, everywhere. But if folks, uh, you know, uh, want to find you easily, they, they can do that at our website, thejazzmill.net, or they can go to Blog Talk and uh, just type in the Jazz Mill, and up our archives will uh, appear for you uh, to include this show just shortly after we we, we finish this broadcast. Now, now, Brent, we're gonna play out our audience here uh when we say so long we're gonna we're gonna do uh we're gonna play sad about nothing uh nothing blues and uh i wonder if you uh, uh have anything to say about that i, I found a, 
really fun song uh, starts out with a crackle, the crackle of an LP, uh, and then yes. uh, branches branches out from there into playful vocals, uh, and uh, uh, just a, just a just a lot of fun. Uh, I think the only place I've ever heard the use of oblique, uh, my wife is unique, uh, put together in a phrase, but I think that's just delicious. Uh, what more would you add, friend? <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, an amazing uh, friend of mine, Darlene Coldenhoven, who who was one of the original uh, singers in the in the Claire Fisher uh, in the Claire Fisher vocal group Two Plus Two. She's a great lyricist too. And I I was, you know, the the way I came up with that idea for "Sad About Nothing Blues" was I was working on an album for a different artist, and uh, she was going to put one of uh, my father's, you know, write lyrics to it, a song that didn't have lyrics uh, heretofore. And uh, and release it on her new album, and I I agreed, and we were working on it, and the lyrics she was coming up with were sort of filled with angst, and you know this is kind of desperation and stuff, and and I said, look, yeah. this is a happy song. My father was a happy was man when he played the blues; it was for joy, you know, and and. Uh, and she said, well, no, blues have to be full of pain. That's what the blues is. And so it got me thinking, how long when you have the blues do you need to listen to the blues so they bring you out of your blues and then you're just enjoying the blues without having the blues? And that was that. the impetus for writing this song, Sad About Nothing Blues. That's and so I, I thank you very much, uh, Scott, for having me on today. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Pleasure was ours, mine, uh, Brandon. Uh, let's do it again sometime as your time permits. Uh, keep swinging, my, my friend. I know that you will. All right. Thank you very much. There he goes. Brent Fisher, folks, uh, just terrific uh, stories uh, all over the place, and uh, I suspect that that's what we would find in our visit with him. So my deepest appreciation to Brent Fisher. Seek out his good works, folks, at brentfisher.com. Buy them up. Uh, They make wonderful stocking stuffers. Uh, He is performing all over the place in the uh, California market and uh, tickets affordable and uh, available as I understand that he's got an event on the 13th. And uh, I know, I know he'd love to see you there. And if uh, uh, you've learned about that on this show, say hello from me. Uh, And thanks to you, of course, for tuning in this time and every time to the jazz mill. If you dig it, tell your friends about us, won't you please? And a quick shout-out to my friend uh, and co-host, Greg Rockingham, who was a little under the weather today and couldn't be with us. Uh, and fast, brother. Uh, remember, folks, for all of our foibles through the year, uh, we did invent jazz here in America. Let's use this wonderful music to build bridges and not walls. Uh, here is another of Brent Fisher's great compositions called Sad About Nothing Blues.
it said one had to be blue just to feel it then. I realized that none of that matters when it's the blues. Grooving all day, whistling away blues. There's nothing can stop me when I'm lost in the music. I'm happy to be having a sad about nothing blues. Yeah! There's something to be said about blues, way I see it blues. My basic favorite primary color with those great tones. So many hues, all of them cool blues. Just digging the vibe now, and no matter what's happening, I'm happy to be playing the set about nothing blues. Now there's no secret that I try for success, but I must confess the stress can be quite oblique. All I can say is that my life is unique It takes me farther out the planet than to swinging in the sky When life's not always just a big bowl of red cherry Substitute a sweet and edible blueberry pie You see, everything's fine, life is sublime blues When I'm down or sideways, I'm just counting my blessings I'm happy to be having the blues, sad about nothing blues Blues. 